Good morning. I'm Pastor Jerry, and we have uh, this thing at our church on Easter morning that we always say this, and maybe probably a lot of you that might go to other churches, you do the same, but we always come in here and we declare, He is risen. And then the answer is, He is risen indeed. And I just like to do that wherever you're at in your living room there with your cup of coffee or whatever it is you got going on there. Uh, he is risen. Did you say it? Oh, I hear my worship team over there saying it. That's cool. Let's do it one more time. He is risen. Amen. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I am so excited today to share uh, this message with you. Um, And we're going to do that here in just a second. But I'm, I know some of you that, that go to our church here probably are wondering, hey, I know I serve in this way and we have a, a meeting coming up in the next couple of weeks. If you serve on the deacon board here at MRCCC or the church council, uh, there are meetings coming up that have been scheduled. And uh, I guess what I'm going to tell you is you're the leader, your chair of those groups will contact you as to the details of those meetings and how they might occur, whether through Zoom or some other way, if at all. So stay tuned, you'll find out about that. I uh, just want to encourage you all, Pastor Dave Windsor cut a really cool video this week for our Pioneer Club kids. Uh, he made resurrection rolls, and uh, that was really cool. He did a great job with that. Uh, I would uh, ask you or, or can recommend that to you to check that out. Uh, also, we have a video out. I read a poem that I had written a while back called Empty Promise, uh, the promise of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, you can search that on YouTube or on our website. And also, this is the last day for our Easter reading plan called The Path to the Cross. And uh, you can find that reading if you still would like to do that or go through it again or catch up with us in that. You can find that on our website at mrccchurch.org. Also, others uh, of you who are small group leaders or have been in the past, I would just encourage you to check out uh, some of the offerings like Zoom online that give you the opportunity and possibility of, of meeting together digitally. Uh, our group did that here a week, week and a half ago, and we had a great time with that. It was hilarious, actually. So, uh, One other thing, uh, normally in our regular church service, we do uh, a time where we focus on and we pray for the persecuted church. And obviously in this context, we haven't been able to do that. Uh, So I just want to encourage each of you uh, who are watching uh, to to think a little bit about that. There are places around the world that are struggling and suffering uh, with, uh, in light of this disease, similar to what we are. And they don't have the opportunity to hear the word preached or in the comfort of their own home or anything like we enjoy So please uh, be in prayer for them and realize the blessing that you have. Uh, Let's go before the Lord, and then we're going to bust the book together. Uh, If you have your Bible, which I'm sure you do, uh, we are going to be, for the most part today, uh, we're going to read from a part in Exodus 12, 
And, uh, well, I guess we'll be all over the place, but if you wanted to turn to a particular passage, it would be Exodus 12 and verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, this Easter morning. We celebrate today. Actually, we celebrate every time we think of you the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's true, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Um, Because he lives, your presence, Lord, can live in our hearts and, and in the hearts of those who believe and who trust in Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. It all makes all the difference for eternity. And so we, we come to you this morning in, in great praise and worship and humility and celebration uh, because of what you have done in Christ and through Christ and what you've done in us and, and through us because of him. He is truly the first fruits from among the dead because he was raised from the dead. We know we're going to cross over that river of physical death, but because of his resurrection and our faith in him, we know that we're going to experience a resurrection like unto his and receive a new body as he received. And we have uh, uh, that hope for all of eternity. It's, it's going to be glorious, and it puts this earth in perspective for us, Lord, as, as it's just a blip on the, the screen. It's oh so important, but it's a short time. I pray that we would use it wisely. And I pray for any that are listening today that have yet to come face to face with Jesus in a personal way and his gospel, his message. I pray that maybe today they would, they would see that you'd open their eyes and their heart to the person of Jesus Christ, your son, our savior. So Father, we, we present that before you. And Lord, we think too today of the church around the world uh, that's struggling in, in some places uh, that don't have and enjoy the, the privilege and the prosperity that we do here. It can make us soft and numb. And I pray for them, Lord, for their encouragement, for their strengthening and ask that your, your spirit would encourage and move in their lives. Fathers, we look into your word, speak to us, and change us. We need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began our series called Commune. Uh, with a message entitled The Bread. And in that message, we asked, where did communion come from? And we answered that at first, the Last Supper. That's where Jesus started this communion thing. That was the night of Jesus' betrayal. At that meal, Jesus offered bread to symbolize his broken body. But then we ask another question, And that was, what kind of bread did Jesus use? And the answer to that question was matzah, or unleavened bread. That is, bread made without yeast. Because we found out that in the Bible, yeast is a symbol of sin. 
And there's a number of reasons for that. Let me remind you of some of those. First reason is because even though yeast is actually a part of the dough, it's like the dough is actually eating itself because that's what the yeast is doing. It's feeding on the dough of which it is a part. And sin's like that. Your sin feeds on your life your very soul and mind does the same. We might think that sin's kind of pleasurable and kind of fun, but listen, reality is it kills you. Literally, it kills your soul from the inside out. And it kills the type of relationships that you were created to have both with God and with other people. You don't ever get away with sin. And if there's one thing that Jesus' death on the cross should make clear to us, it is that the wages of sin is death every single time. Just like yeast eats the dough of which it is a part, sin feeds on us. A second reason that yeast is used as that symbol is that it's like sin because it spreads. It, it multiplies within the dough. Just like in our lives, sin is, is never static. It doesn't just stay at a given level. There's an old poem that speaks this truth. It goes like this. It says, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And sin will cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay. Yeast is like that. In bread dough, sin is like that. So two reasons that yeast is used as a symbol of sin. Number one, it consumes itself. Number two, it gets worse, it multiplies. And there's a third reason, and that is that yeast puffs up the dough by the gas bubbles it produces as a result of its feeding it. It makes the bread rise. And sin does the same thing with us. It kind of puffs us up with pride. It makes us think, well, it's my life, and I'll do with it whatever I want to do with it which is not true, by the way. You didn't create it. You don't own it. It's God's. He gave it to you to manage. So, so that was last week with, with yeast. And we said on the other side of that coin that matzah, unleavened bread, on the other hand, symbolizes a life without sin because it doesn't have any yeast in it. Now, I know, looking in the mirror at my life, that's not my life. Unleavened bread doesn't symbolize my life. And I don't think if you're honest, you would say it symbolizes your life either. Obviously, unleavened bread, that symbolizes Jesus' life. And that's why Jesus referred to himself often as the bread of life. He is the sinless one, symbolized by, by unleavened bread, which was actually the bread that Jesus ate at the first communion. It was a symbol of his sin, sinless life that he was about to lay down as a sacrifice for my sin and yours. When he said, this is my body broken for you. Now, this week, the message is actually entitled just that, my body. Last week, it was the bread. This week, it's my body. And it comes from the Gospels, including Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, where it says that Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this week we're going to ask a different question. 
Last week we asked where did communion come from and then what kind of bread did Jesus use. This week we're going to ask this broader question. And that is this, where did the Last Supper come from? Where did the Last Supper come from? And the answer, I believe, is going to blow your socks off. Uh, Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's start off with this, Matthew 26, verse 17. Where did the Last Supper come from? Here we go. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we know something about that now. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Lord, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Last Supper? Oh, wait, that's not what it says. It says, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Again, Luke 22, 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Last Supper. Oh wait, that's not what it says. Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Folks, listen, the Last Supper is what we call it. It's what Leonardo da Vinci called it when he painted that famous painting. But Jesus and the disciples called it the Passover. Listen to me now. The better that you understand the Jewish Passover, the better you will understand Jesus. The Passover was a tradition, a traditional meal. It was practiced by the Jews every year since the slave Jews exited Egypt somewhere around 1,500 years before Jesus Christ. And then they headed for the promised land as free men and women. Now, rather than me describe this to you, let me take you back there to the first Passover, which was the occasion of the 10th plague God visited upon the Egyptians. This finally broke Pharaoh's pride, so he allowed the Jewish slaves to go free. And that final plague was the death of the firstborn. I'm going to read it to you, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. First three words, the Lord said. Now he's about to describe this whole thing of what's going down with Passover that night and what's going to become, what he's going to call to become the tradition of this Passover meal. That's to be practiced year in and year out. You'll hear it as we read. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, verse 2, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So God makes this like their new year. It's so significant. It's the birth of their nation. This is your new year. Verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, of this first month of your year, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males, what's the next two words? Without defect. This is a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb. Verse 6, they brought it in on the 10th, Verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. That must have been hard. 
Verse 7, then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat. And then verses 8 to 10 describe more detail of how the meat's to be prepared and such. We'll pick up with verse 11. This is how you're to eat it. Listen close now. Eat it in haste. We heard that before last week with the unleavened bread. One of the things about unleavened bread is you didn't have to wait for the yeast to make the bread rise. So it was a symbol of being in a hurry, of of being in haste. Eat it in haste, God says. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment, listen to me now, on all the gods of Egypt. A lot of people don't realize that of the 10 plagues in Egypt, they were each one was focused on a particular Egyptian god. God was reaching out not just to reveal himself to the nation of Israel, but also to the Egyptians as the one true God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood will be a sign. A sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Focus on that word for a second, a sign. A sign gives direction. It tells you where to go. What was that blood a sign of? What did it point to? We're going to see that very clearly today. And God continues at the end of verse 13, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast, unleavened bread. Verse 20, eat nothing made with yeast wherever you live. You must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. So there it is, God's instructions for the first Passover. After that first event, every year, on the first month of their year, Jews all over the world celebrate the Passover meal, which kicks off a week-long festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So listen, listen the perfect spotless lamb to be slain, and bread made without yeast go together in this Passover meal. Jesus, when he instituted communion, was eating that Passover meal with his disciples the day that he was crucified. Now, some of you might say, well, wait, didn't he eat it in the evening? And he was crucified the next day. Well, I say, listen to me now, I say the day rather than the next day because the day on the Jewish community starts at 6 in the evening, not at midnight. So Jesus ate the Passover after 6 p.m. and he was crucified at 9 a.m. the next morning which in their way of reckoning time is the same day. So listen, the spotless lamb and the blood on the doorframe 
and the unleavened bread were all signs of Jesus' sacrificial death that were given 1,500 years before he even showed up. He is the spotless lamb who was slain, and he is the unleavened bread of life. What is he to you? Now listen, that's, that's not all. We're just, we're just scratching the surface right now. We're going to dig in a little bit into this into the actual uh, this Passover thing. Because this yearly traditional Passover meal, it has, a, it has a prescribed order to it. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And all the Jews follow a particular order. And that outline or order, if you will, is called the Seder. The Passover Seder is the order in which they do things. Now, I'm not going to, to go through all the parts and activities and symbols. We don't have time for that. But every part of the Seder, the order, symbolizes and teaches something to do with the Israelites' captivity in Egypt and their deliverance. It reminds, it, it's, a, it's a thing of remembrance for the Jewish people to, to be reminded of what God did for them. It's about remembering what God had done in the past. And there are basically 10 activities that they do before the meal in this order of events. I want to focus on the fourth one today, okay? The fourth activity in the Passover Seder the leader of the Seder, he picks up this thing called a matzah tosh. Here's a picture of one. It is basically a big linen envelope that has three distinct compartments or divisions inside it. And each compartment has a piece, a big piece of matzah inside. And the leader at the fourth part of the Passover Seder, he picks up the matzah tosh and he takes out the middle piece of matzah and he reveals it to the family assembled. And then he holds it up and he breaks it in two parts. He puts half of it back in the matzah tosh and the other half he wraps up in a linen napkin. And next, everybody closes their eyes while the leader hides that linen-wrapped piece of matzah someplace in the room. Now, that hidden piece of broken matzah is called the afikomen. The afikomen, and that word means that which comes after. That which comes after. Then everybody can open their eyes again after that's hidden, and the Seder, the order, continues. They go on to the fifth element. Now, let's fast forward to the tenth step, the tenth element, the tenth activity in the Passover is when the family actually eats the meal, of which the main course is the Passover lamb. Now, listen. At the end of the meal, they've all eaten the meal around the table now. 
just before the 11th step of the Seder. We're at the end of the meal. A child in the family is chosen to get up and go search throughout the room to search for and to find that hidden piece of linen-wrapped matzah that was hidden away at step four, at element number four in the Passover Seder, the afikomen. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt without the eggs. And once the child discovers the hidden matzah, brings it back to the leader, and the leader then breaks off pieces of that bread and shares it with everyone in the family. Now, listen to the words of Jesus recorded for us in Luke twenty-two fifteen. He is at the Last Supper, the Passover, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He calls it the Passover. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment. Say finds fulfillment. Finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Folks, listen, the Passover is filled with symbols and signs, not just of the past, looking back to Moses and Egypt, but of the future with Jesus. And Jesus is about to transition from signs that point to the past to the beginning of their future fulfillment with him. Luke twenty-two nineteen. He took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now listen to verse 20 very carefully. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Remember the afikoman, that which comes after. The la- that which comes after the meal, if you will. See, it appears that the bread that Jesus shared and declared to represent his body is the sharing of the afikoman in the Passover Seder. I mean, look at it. This, this is absolutely amazing. Remember, three pieces of matzah back at step four in the Passover Seder. There were three pieces of matzah. They were hidden from view in that matzah tosh. The Godhead, remember it, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, hidden from our view. And then that middle piece of matzah is taken out and revealed to us. John 1.14, Jesus' disciple John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then what did the leader do next? He took that middle piece of matzah and it was broken, just like Jesus' body was broken on the cross. And then that piece, the afikomen, was wrapped in linen and hidden away, just like Jesus' body was wrapped and hidden in a tomb. And then later, 
a child finds it. That's significant. Remember what Jesus said, unless you have the faith of a child, you cannot enter his kingdom. So the child finds it. It's brought forth, just like Jesus was brought forth from the tomb. That's what we celebrate today, the resurrection. He arose from the dead. He defeated the wages of sin. And because he lives, we can live also. And then that bread is shared in the Passover with everyone. The afikoman is, is a perfect sign of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it's been a part of the Passover Seder since before the time of Jesus. And Jews, folks, Jews today, most of whom in our day are unbelievers in Jesus as their Savior or Messiah, and yet they include in their Passover year after year this incredible sign of his death, burial, and resurrection, just as John the Baptist described. When John first laid eyes on Jesus before his public ministry, he declared, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, I have one other thing to bring out of this. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I've, I knew all this. I've heard all this before. I knew most of this. Uh, but I'll, I'll bet most of you, I suppose many of you in our church, because we've talked about this a few times before, but this is, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. It really strengthens my faith. So this one other thing to bring out, it goes all the way back to that first Passover in Egypt. Most people understand the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost and lentils of the homes in Egypt. Most people think that was a mark that sort of kept the death angel out of the house. It was, a, it was like hanging up a sign that said, keep out. Keep out. You're not welcome here. And I can see that. That makes sense because God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's how in English it's translated, meaning I'll pass over your house. I'll pass over the house. That's where the term Passover comes from. But I don't think that's what it means. There's an ancient Middle Eastern custom that's still practiced today that I, I believe just might make it mean something totally different than that. You see, when a, when a guest came to a home in the Middle East, they, they would, you've heard this phrase, slay the, the fattened calf. That's what they would do. Special occasion, slay the fattened calf. That's what the father did for the prodigal son when he came home. And that was, of course, a, a sign of welcome they were going to feast together, but they would also, as a sign of welcome, they put the blood of the calf at the threshold of the doorway to the home. And that blood is saying to the guest, welcome, 
You are welcome here. Come in here. And I believe that the blood that the Jews put on their doorpost and lentils that night in Egypt, first of all, I don't think it surprised them. I don't think they thought it was a weird thing. I think they knew of it. But I don't think it was a sign which said, stay out, death angel. Stay out, keep out. Instead, I think it was a sign that said the opposite. I think it meant, welcome God into our home. And therefore, it was God's presence that kept the death angel out and protected that home. And so, think of it now. Jesus is eating the Passover when he started this communion thing. The word Passover doesn't mean pass over the home, but instead it means welcome, pass over the threshold into my home. Let's wrap this up. What have we seen today? Well, we asked the question, where did the Last Supper come from? Where did it come from? Or where did communion come from? And where did the Last Supper come from? Well, it was the Passover. The Jewish Passover celebrated by the Jews every single year since Moses. And they still do it today. 3,500 Passovers. Actually, last Wednesday, I believe it was, Bonnie and I talked about this. I think it was Wednesday that was the Jewish Passover. Is that right, hon? I thought you said that to me. Anyway, it was last week. What have we seen? The bread that Jesus gave to his disciples, it was already part of the Passover Seder. The afikomen, the middle of the three in the matzotash, revealed, broken, wrapped in linen, hidden away. Then after the meal, it was brought forth and shared with everyone. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This was Passover. Yeah, it pointed back to Egypt, but Jesus says more than that, it points to me. I am the bread of life. The life without yeast, the life without sin. And that blood that Moses and the Israelites painted on the door frame, God said it's a sign. That was a threshold covenant, I believe. It wasn't a keep out sign. It was a welcome sign. The presence of God was welcome. Folks, listen, as we close today, your heart has a door and you are its doorkeeper. Jesus Christ died and shed his blood so that you could paint it on the doorframe of your heart and welcome the very presence of God into you and into your life. That's what all this points to. You know, in the book of John, in John's gospel, it's like 20, I think it's 21 chapters, the whole thing. John spent five of those chapters. He spent five chapters telling us 
what Jesus taught them that last night in and around the Last Supper. Five chapters. That's a quarter of the book on that one night. You can read about that in John chapters 13 through 18. But a big piece of what Jesus taught that night was about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, as Jesus called him. The Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, is the presence of God that desires to live within you and your life. Jesus Christ that night was about to pave the way through his death and resurrection for God's presence to be mine and yours. But I'll tell you something, he won't come in against your will. You are the doorkeeper of your heart. You choose to paint the blood or you choose not to. Just like the Jews that night in Egypt and the Egyptians. Many of the Egyptians lost their firstborn that night because they didn't know. They just didn't know. If you listened, now you know. Many other Egyptians worshiped their own gods, wouldn't have anything to do with the one true God. So they just said, no, I'm not going to do that. You are the doorkeeper of your heart. He will not come in against your will. You have to welcome him in. And there's only one blood that does that, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. Contrary to some in our culture, like Oprah Winfrey, there are many ways to God. No. No, there aren't. It's your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ for your sin is like painting Jesus' blood on the doorframe of your heart that is that is the only welcome that god will respond to so let me pray for you and if any if any of you want to welcome the presence of god into the house of your life we're just going to pause here for 30 seconds or so and you pray you talk to god about this about what you've heard and if he's yanking the chain of your heart if he's knocking on the door of your heart let him in he did everything it's his blood the blood of his son and yours is yet to believe so let's take some time and let you wrestle with God in this You know, folks, I spend uh, a lot of time 
Uh, a lot of what I do is sharing with children in our Pioneer Club ministry, and Pastor Dave does the same. Um, we also help with Uncle Bob's ministry with the Release Time Bible. And, and I've had a lot of adults, too, that will come to this point where God is, is inviting them, is, 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 is moved their heart, and they'll say, I don't know what to, I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to, to say or, or something to that effect. And, and I just want to remind you, I don't want to put words into your mouth um, I just want to remind you that in the Passover, it's the child that gets up and goes and seeks the afikomen. It's the child that finds it. God's not looking for some elaborate prayer or or anything like that. It's the faith of a child. And one one of the most... Uh, brilliant, I guess you could say, theologians that ever walked this earth was a guy by the name of Martin Luther. And when he finally came to Christ, his heart cry, the words that he put together that God responded to as Martin Luther painted the welcome of Jesus' blood on the door of his heart were simply these, save me, I'm yours words of a child father i thank you for the this incredible picture and and we really there is so much more to this than than what we have pointed out we're going to point out some more next week in in the third message of our commune series um And I so look forward to that because it's incredible. It's basically the 11th step of the Passover Seder that Jesus shared as the cup, the juice, the wine, his blood. We're going to look at that next time. And it is as profound and as uplifting as this ever was so lord i look forward to that but in the meantime lord i pray for people that know jesus as their savior lord that the the sign of this would just would just so put their life in perspective this coronavirus thing has helped us to do that it puts our life in perspective you know we used to have all these choices of 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 fun things to do with our time and and things we could buy with our money and now we see lord as we talked about um last week that treasures of earth man moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal they just don't last they're uncertain and all of a sudden we're told we can't even leave our homes life has changed in america And the truth of Jesus' words there, we're seeing them. And so, Lord, may the, the, the amazingness of, of this message that you began when you created the world and then through Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt and then all the way to the, to the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the bread and the, the lamb and, and all of that. And it continues into the future lord we know you're coming back and as soon as you 
you come back in the clouds as you were taken up, that's a lot of the stuff that that we think so important is just going to be nothing. Even more so than what we've experienced in the last couple weeks. So Father, for your church, purify your church. Use this time for us to be in your word and to, to see Open our eyes, open our ears to see you, to hear you, to love you more purely. To invest our lives in your kingdom, not any kingdom of our own or a kingdom of this world. In your kingdom, Lord. You are the king. Next time you come, that's how you're going to come. As the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you're not going to come as a suffering servant this time. So Lord, purify your church, make her ready and make her bold and make her her love as Jesus loved. And Lord, for those that are listening that don't know you as Savior, I pray that today you called their name and they answered and they decided to, to be a part of the sign that you started 3,500 years ago when that lamb was slain and and its blood was put on the doorframe of those homes, welcoming you in. Father, we can't put our own blood on the door of our life. It doesn't forgive sin. Only Jesus' does. So we must believe on you, and in so doing, his blood declares to you, Lord God, that you are welcome to our lives to to come in and to do with it what you want, not what we want anymore. That's the symbol. And Father, there's a lot of people listening that need to make that decision. Now, that need to surrender once and for all because you're knocking. You are knocking. You are knocking. Help them to believe. Give them faith. Author faith. Finish faith in them that they might be a part of your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.